to me, it felt like a monumental shift as far as where her music career was at. It was just absolutely unlike anything that we had heard at Christian Radio. May 5th, 1982, turned out to be a historic release date, one that changed the shape of contemporary Christian music overnight. At the ripe old age of 21, Amy Grant released her sixth career album, Age to Age. Back then, I was music director. This is St. Louis radio veteran Stel Ponticus. At WCBW in St. Louis, 104.9 FM. And we were a contemporary Christian music station that leaned more towards the hit radio side and the rock side because St. Louis is really more of a rock-based market. So we didn't play a lot of Amy's music from her first three studio albums or those two in-concert albums that came out. We played a little bit, but, but not very much. So when Age to Age came out, to me it felt like a monumental shift as far as where her music career was at. Age to Age became the first Christian music album to go platinum. This turned a lot of heads. Those are big numbers and real dollars. Christian music wasn't just a novelty act. Now people in all sectors of the music industry started to take notice of this growing entity known as CCM. Amy Grant's Age to Age record was probably... This is legendary radio promoter Chris Hauser. The most well-marketed set-up record in CCM history by uh, May of 1982 when it finally came out. I was uh, working in Christian Radio in Syracuse, New York. I'd started working there in 79, so I was playing her singles that the label was, was sending, but there was so much great marketing and imaging for the record. The release date of Age to Age marked a transition for Amy Grant as well, taking her from young rising star to bona fide megastar. Once again, Chris Hauser. She all of a sudden, even at age 21, looked much more mature, had makeup on, had a cool dress on. It was kind of the shot was kind of shoulder up. Uh, I just remember just, of course, everyone in 1982 fell in love with Amy Grant for crying out loud. As it's stated in the book, the Encyclopedia of Contemporary Christian Music, quote, suddenly Amy was doing the Tonight Show instead of the 700 Club. She was a genuine celebrity in the real world, as opposed to being just a big fish in a little pond. To give you some perspective of how much fandom surrounded this album, after Age to Age's release date, it shot up to number one on the Billboard Christian Albums charts and stayed number one for 85 weeks. The lead single from that album was Amy Grant's first number one hit, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. Again, here's Stel Ponticus. When I first listened to the song, I realized the one thing that struck me was the key changes. 
And that's something these days you really don't hear it very much. But back then, you would hear a lot of songs that had key changes in the melodies. And that, to me, is really critical in keeping the, the freshness of a song. So when you listen to Sing Your Praise to the Lord, you'll hear various key changes in the song that really help it sustain its listenability. Now back to Chris Hauser. When uh, Murr Word sent out the uh, the single for Sing Your Praise to the Lord, uh, which was the first single from the record, it was just absolutely unlike anything that we had heard at Christian Radio by that point in time. It was, I mean, the strings and the the classical, I think it was Bach that, that they were borrowing from and using in kind of the lead up to uh, her, her vocal and singing praise of the Lord was just something that was just so classy, just momentous feeling and very, very weighty. That's, uh, that, that's one way that they were setting this up to be just a massive, massive hit. Amy Grant wasn't the only artist whose life dramatically changed with the release of Age to Age. A young, bearded Hoosier also just landed his first number one single, the songwriter behind Sing Your Praise to the Lord, Rich Mullins. From UTR Media, I'm Dave Trout, and this is Release Date. In September 2016, I took the early steps in making a Rich Mullins tribute album. I figured I could do something, even if just a humble indie album, if I had a small nest egg of money, $4,700 to be precise. This was our stretch goal for UTR's creative relaunch Kickstarter in fall 2016. On November 10th, we thankfully hit the 100% mark of our base campaign of $13,000. This is something we are all grateful for because without that campaign, this podcast wouldn't exist. However, our campaign end date was November 15th, so we only had five days to try to reach that stretch goal. We went up to 102% the first of those days, then 104%, then 109%, 118%, and finally 126% of our initial goal. Clearly some folks wanted to see our tribute idea come to life. Some of our early Kickstarter backers even increased their initial pledge. Yet, we fell short of the stretch goal. We needed $4,700 extra, and we ended with extra. Not shabby, but still, $1,300 short of an already bare-bones budget. We definitely hit our first roadblock. So I think we met... This is singer, songwriter, author Andrew Greer, who you met last episode. And sorry about the static in the recording, but thankfully you can still hear everything. We saw each other pretty soon after... The stretch goal wasn't met and, and kind of, I guess, 
there was a wondering on my part of whether the record would still be possible or not, or if it would be possible in the same way, or did that mean it was dead in the water? And and I think that was the kind of bulk of our conversation was talking about, is this even possible on this more limited budget without the fuller support? And then if it isn't possible, even in my mind, thinking how could it be possible maybe in another way? Does that just mean UTR is not a part of it? Or does it mean there's a different way to maneuver through that? So, But I was curious. There's only so much bandwidth in all of us, so there's also times to look at the signs. So there was a curiosity if we would even be able to bring it to fruition. Some of the Kickstarter backers, especially the ones who gave after we reached 100%, wanted to know what was going to happen with the Rich Mullins tribute. I had to explain that it clearly isn't enough to get much of anything done. However, I was committed to setting aside the $3,400 and not spend it on other stuff and see if something might develop. Three days after that Kickstarter ended, I drove up to Mequon, Wisconsin, just outside Milwaukee, to host a concert with Andrew Peterson. Okay, frankly, I didn't have the guts to call him up and ask him to recreate our first minute seeing each other. But this is a true-to-life reenactment, only we're going to have a robot stand in for Mr. Peterson. Hey, Andrew, what's up, man? Hey, man, good to see you. Congratulations on the successful Kickstarter. Way to go. Ah, thanks so much. Yeah, we are uh, just so excited how everything went. Do you want to know the best part? You got some but not all of your stretch goal. Boy, you really dodged a bullet there. When I saw that Rich Mullins tribute album idea, I thought, oh no. Dave doesn't realize what a mess that will be. You should be thankful that you don't have to fulfill that obligation. Really? Hmm. Well, uh, (laughs) actually we were thinking we might try to find a way to still do it. Really? Ha ha ha. You probably should skip it. Only a few days after that, I was back talking with the other Andrew, Andrew Greer, about wanting to see this idea actually happen. He had just signed with Worthy Publishing to pen a book on how the conversations Rich Mullen started over 20 years ago are still echoing in people's hearts today. And Andrew wondered if our tribute idea could be done in partnership with the person who originally got Worthy Publishing interested in a Rich Mullins-themed book, Randy Cox. Randy Cox, I was first introduced to, of course, through Worthy with the book Winds of Heaven, Stuff of Earth, because he really kind of brought the idea of some sort of book, some kind of, some kind of printed work to, again, coincide with the 20th anniversary of Rich's death. I am by no means a Rich Mullins historian, But just as a fan, I had heard that name before, Randy Cox. And the idea that we might be collaborating with someone who was so connected to the early career of Rich Mullins, the thought floored me. I'm a big music fan. I always have been. I was only six and a half years old when Sing Your Praise to the Lord became a number one hit, but I remember it. And 
I would grow up to be that guy reading the liner notes to music, but still, for some reason, it wasn't until he released the songs version of that track in 1996 that I realized that the writer behind that mega hit was Rich Mullins. This is a recording from the band and traveling ministry Zion, which Rich Mullins was a part of in his early 20s. It's the original release, albeit an indie release, of the song that was then titled Praise to the Lord. And it was from this era that Randy Cox worked with Rich, mainly helping him transition to Nashville as a full-time songwriter. He was one of Rich's first song publishers at Meadow Green Publishing. Um, I believe was part of the era when Rich um, and Singer Praise the Lord found its way to Amy Grant, which of course was Rich's really first foray and intro into the Nashville uh, and Christian music industry. Uh, so Randy was around back then in the early 80s and has continued to be involved in songs in Nashville since then. When we come back, I get to talk to Randy Cox, plus one of Rich Mullen's bandmates from Zion joins us. This UTR Media Podcast is sponsored by the latest release by Luke Dowler. South by Luke Dowler features songs of passion, heartache, and hope. You can find South by Luke Dowler at iTunes and LukeDowler.com. On the next episode of Green Room Door, we'll be talking with veteran singer-songwriter Christopher Williams about the release of his 11th album, Gather. I love playing music. Yeah. And, and in kind of any venue, in any opportunity. And I often will get made fun of for sometimes how long I play, but I feel like if I'm doing my job right people won't be bored after 90 right. minutes and I just love it so much that I kind of just keep going subscribe to Green Room Door on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Andrew Greer set up a three way phone call between himself me and one of Rich's early publishers, Randy Cox, so that we could all meet. I remember being really amped during the conversation. My understanding at that time, which was December 2016, was that Randy had the exclusive rights to an album's worth of old Rich Mullen songs. Some of them were finished posthumously by some songwriting friends. 
Randy was hoping to use some of today's artists to record these old songs for the very first time. The idea sounded at least interesting. A lot of the details were left to speculation, though. Like, how did Randy have exclusive rights to a group of Rich's songs? Why were these unrecorded or unfinished? Those questions would have to wait, because Andrew had a bigger question for me. One that would be an important one through the entirety of this story. Would you, Dave, be more interested in being the sole developer of a small thing? Or have a smaller piece of a much bigger project? Clearly, Randy's plan of these unrecorded songs was not anywhere close to the indie music tribute album I had in mind, but his project might get more press and have national distribution. And watching and learning from over 80 episodes of Shark Tank, I knew the right answer to give. I'd rather have a smaller piece of a much bigger pie. One of the things that's been a surprising blessing through this whole process is discovering, well, really for the first time, that there is this whole collection of Rich Mullins songs from those early years in Zion. And I've been a Rich fan for a long time, but I never really went back and listened to those early songs or, or listened to that, that album that Zion released in 1981 until maybe a year ago. And even then, I thought that these songs must all be junk, since most of them were never recorded. Well, he was one of the first people that I met on campus at CBS in 1975. This is Beth Snell Lutz, a bandmate of Riches in Zion, and the person who single-handedly recorded this entire collection of audio tapes from the late 70s and early 80s. My heart was drawn by his music, and it was changed by his life. We became friends and stayed friends the rest of his life. He loved relationships, but often did not do them well. He could be difficult, and he could be charismatic. He was dear, and I loved him. I'm so grateful that he crossed my path. Here's the thing. I was wrong. These early songs are not junk. Well, you might find a few that aren't great, but even Rich at his worst is better than 90% of songwriters at their best. Like these lyrics of a mostly unheard of early Rich song. No one can see you shaking. You're too proud to let it out. Like God would up and forsake you if you ever confessed your doubt. Well, you're one of them saints and sinners. No one knows who's who. Everybody's got a secret to keep. Holy pretenders have been trying to fill God's shoes, and they haven't got the right size feet. Oh, frozen with 
When I first heard Richard playing, I needed to be able to hold on to the music tangibly to live with so that my heart could take it all in. I began to take down the lyrics in shorthand so that I could dwell in them and feel my heart being transformed by the grace of God and the mercy that they spoke of. One thing that amazes me about Beth is that while Rich was playing his early songs, well over a hundred of them, she somehow had the foresight to carry around a tape deck and record these songs of her friend. And if she hadn't done it, we would not have an archive of these early songs. I asked her how she had the foresight to capture these songs on tape. With my first paycheck, I bought a tape recorder so that I could have the music to live with and I recorded as many concerts as possible. I was invited to join into the songs and into the music, and so I would record them as he wrote them so that I could live with them and learn the lyrics and the harmonies. And I continued doing that pretty much the rest of the time that I knew him, especially through the Zion years when he would write songs for us to sing. And um, we lived in community off and on, so I would often tape Richard as he was playing just for himself. Um, Sometimes he would play in his sleep. The music just had to get out of him. So if he was exhausted, he would go to bed and then he'd get up in the middle of the night and he would be sound asleep and his hands would be playing. It It was really fascinating to watch. Since I knew that we would be focusing a lot of attention on the early days of Rich's career on this episode, we are so happy that Beth Snell Lutz could join us. And we also asked her where listeners can go to discover these early songs of Rich. There's such a huge catalog here available for people to find, and they are all completed originals of his songs. So all of these songs, this catalog, this Rich Mullen songs catalog, are now protected for his family with the Rich Mullen songs copyright that we created. Recordings of most of these songs have been posted to richmullensongs.com, which takes you to a Facebook page where I am cataloging them as I'm able. Uh, Most are also available on my Rich Mullen's Early Music YouTube channel. They're just waiting to be discovered, and I love it if anybody takes the time to, to listen to them at all. On the next episode of Release Date, we get more serious, and we get a producer. Plus, right now, we are offering you a bonus contest. Yep, just for listeners of Release Date. And we realize this might not apply to you if you're binge listening way in the future, but your mission is to rate and or review this show on Apple Podcasts 
or wherever you listen. Every rater or reviewer now through November 30th, 2017 will be entered into a drawing for a brand new factory sealed original vinyl copy of the 1982 LP Age to Age by Amy Grant. Release Date is a production of UTR Media. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Trout. Special thanks to Beth Snell-Lutz, Stel Pontikas, Chris Hauser, Mark Allen Powell, Andrew Greer, Amy Grant, and, uh, sorry, again, Andrew Peterson. You know I still love you. And a big shout-out to Stan Moser, former executive at Word Records, who knew a fact that Wikipedia and endless Google searches could not come up with. He provided the exact release date of Amy Grant's Age to Age. And while you're waiting for the next episode, check out the podcast Between the Songs, hosted by my friends Joe Cook and Chris Marchand, where over the course of a year, they're dissecting and discussing each album on Rich Mullen's discography. Uh, Lastly, Thank you to the financial supporters of UTR Media, which makes this podcast possible. If you'd like information on making a tax-deductible donation to UTR Media, visit utrmedia.org. Again, I'm Dave Trout. Talk to you next time on Release Date. Hey, do you remember me? Wait, wh- what's going on? Who- who's this? What? You don't recognize my voice. It's me, Andrew Peterson. And don't go anywhere, homie. This show is not over. I've got more audio for your content-hungry audience. Really? Oh, that's awesome. I Bonus content is great. Let's do it. Remember the special guest and legendary radio promoter Chris Hauser? We have a bonus piece of audio he shared about the album Age to Age by Amy Grant. It's worth a listen. Hey monkeys in the truck, roll the tape. I'm a little bit of a trivia nerd when it comes to uh, records that were coming through uh, the radio station in Syracuse where I worked from 79 to 87. So I would just pour over... Uh, lyrics and liner notes and uh, uh, songwriters and people who played instruments on various records. Uh, It was all kind of like three or four producers and kind of the same ten instrumentalists uh, were on all these records. But um, I I do have a funny memory about the Age to Age album from Amy Grant in 82 that uh, she covered a Michael Card song called I Have Decided, and we decided that the guitar on it was too intense for our audience. So the chunky guitar parts for I Have Decided was too rock and roll for our AC station uh, during that time period. I might have even played it. This is now very embarrassing. I might have even played 
Amy Grant, I have decided on my Christian rock radio show in the early 80s, right up alongside, gosh, Mark Hurd and Res Band and Petra. Ah, jeez. Ha 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 ha. That was awesome. Amy Grant on a rock radio format. Man, I thought I heard it all. Please don't forget that you could win a sealed vinyl LP of Age to Age just by leaving a rating and review of this podcast. Thank you, peeps. On behalf of Dave Trout, I'm Andrew Peterson. See you next time on release date. Now the show is officially over. Hey guys, tune in to the two-hour broadcast of the Rich Mullins Tribute Concert from Escape to the Lake 2017. Hear tribute songs from great artists. So if I stand, let me stand on the And stories from those who loved him. He made a real effort to contribute and to make a difference. And that was extremely meaningful to me. So in that way, the the truthiness and the integrity of the way he lived made me feel okay about how, how hard it is to be truthy and filled with integrity. UTR Media's Rich Mullins Tribute Concert. Available now at YouTube or at utrmedia.org.